stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Welcome to another episode of the Dodgers Nation Roundtable, episode 17. On this episode, are the Dodgers peaking too early? How back are Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger? And the trade package that the Nationals wanted for Juan Soto has been revealed. We're going to react to that. But first, I'm joined by an esteemed panel of Dodgers experts. To my left, Mr. Brooks Smith. We just saw his x-rays. He 100% has that dog. You can follow him at brookme 3 Then to my right... Eric Yulo, follow him at E-E-U-L-A-U. And then we are joined by a special guest today. He does it all. He covers all the L.A. teams. NBC's Michael DeWarte. He's like the Chris Taylor of L.A. sports reporters, the Chris Army Knife. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just a Vince Scully fanboy today. But, hey, man. Uh, I'm here to help you break down anything you need. Dodgers are invincible right now. The way they've been playing of late, win for Vin, they've been doing that a lot lately. And we're going to start today with, first of all, can the postseason just begin tomorrow? The Dodgers are blue hot, 76-33. and 33. They won a season-high nine games. They're 31-5 in their last since June 29th, and they lead all of Major League Baseball with a 233 run differential with the resurgent Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger. This offense is finally clicking on all cylinders. They're the BWO, the Blue World Order, just suffering, suffocating teams into submission and you look at this team right here. My question is, the lead they have, are you worried at all that they're peaking too early? I'm going to start with you, Brooke. Uh, peaking too early, I think it, you kind of go back to, like, some of the past teams. You know, we've obviously had some, like, real, real bad Septembers in Dodger history, especially of recent vintage. Everything in the postseason is about streaks. It's about going into October hot. It's about being the team that's rolling at the right time. The Nationals proved that very much so when they knocked us out of the playoffs. They were not a good team all the way up until the end of the year. So I do worry about it a little bit. But just the way this team is built top to bottom, I mean, as the roster is right now, it's a pretty unbeatable team. It's the Every game, it seems like they're going to put up a handful of runs. Their pitching is going to dominate. Their bullpen's going to come in and do the job that it needs to do. And that's not even taking into account the fact that we have like an all-star lineup on the injured list right now. So in my mind, the fact that you get those guys back in at the end of the year, that's going to keep us rolling into the postseason. So I think that new blood, new, not actually new, but it is like a trade deadline acquisition at the end of the year, right into October. And they're all fresh. So I feel good about it. I don't really, I'm not really stressed about them. Not worried about that. Look, no. the longest win st losing streak this season was four games, and they've just been executing every single game. I ask you, Michael, are you worried at all that the Dodgers could be peaking too early? No, I mean, the Dodgers score more runs than a after party at Taco Bell, right? I mean, <laughs> I like they're, I like just, they're just killing it right now. They're steamrolling all the competition. But as far as peaking too early, I'm going to disagree with what Brooks said as far as, like, you have to be rolling when you go into the playoffs. We've seen that work out in some cases. We saw the Rockies, I remember, get hot. This is way years ago, but then they had like a week off and then got swept by the Red Sox in the World Series in the Fall Classic. Um, to me, I would rather, I mean, this, this reminds me of like the 17 year to the 18 year, right? So 17, they were blowing everybody away. They had a massive lead in the division. They went on that horrible losing streak in September. <laughs> everybody was panicking, but guess what? They steamrolled through the playoffs. 
They went to the World Series. If it wasn't for the cheaters, looking at you, Carlos Correa, tonight, um, they probably would have won that World Series. They should have won that World Series. In 18, they were the opposite. They're 10 games below 500 the end of May. Justin Turner is injured. Uh, they have to really mount a comeback, go all the way to game 163 just mm-hmm. to get in. And then they still go to the World Series, but they ran into a better team in a buzzsaw in the Boston Red Sox. And unfortunately, Kenley Jansen does what he does in the postseason, and they didn't end up coming back in that series. So I would say if you take those two seasons as, a, as an analogy, as a comparison point, um, I'd rather the 17. I'd rather build this huge lead in the West and then be able to start resting guys a little bit down the stretch. Like Julio has yep. been on fire. He's won eight straight starts. He's 4-0 since the All-Star break. He's got like a 1.04 ERA. Um, He's peaking right now, but if you can give him a little rest, like if we're giving Kershaw some rest now, Ryan Pepio starting uh, on Wednesday, uh, give him a couple spot starts along the way. We want Dustin May to get right. We want Walker Bueller to get right. So if you can just have everybody healthy, because I think as hot as the Braves were last year, if you have a healthy Clayton Kershaw and you have a healthy Max Muncy in the 2021 postseason, the Dodgers probably win. And not to mention a healthy Max Scherzer who had dead arm by the time we got there because you had to win a wild card game. You had to win a five-game NLDS with the Giants. Scherzer had to come out of the bullpen. So I'd rather health and have everybody rolling and have this big lead where you can just kind of cruise into the postseason than have to fight and claw and go in hot because I think uh, the former is the better way to go in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, Max Scherzer, I still think that was a business decision. He did have that dead arm, but it did come back to life when he signed that new contract with the Mets. But I want to go to you, Eric. You love the 2017 team. That team was incredible. And if you look at the record they had at one point, they were 76-33 and at one point. And then we saw what happened. They lost 16 of 17 games, had an 11-game losing streak. We know skids happen just as Paul Pierce's shorts. But what is different about this year's Dodger team compared to 2017, where they won't have a big skid. I'm usually a big numbers guy, reel off a bunch of stats, but that's not really why I think that's not going to happen. They're not going to have that 2017 skid is the experience. They've been there before in 17. It was new. It was shiny. It was Cody Bellinger. It was all these breakout names up and down. They still have those breakout guys in Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson, but I think it's just the experience, the mentality. They've been to the mountaintop. They've lost World Series. They're battle-tested. They've been in the NLCS, and I know you have some new names, but I just think this group is too experienced to lose 16 of 17. And also, too, that's, that's Haley's Comet, losing 16 of 17. Like I would be shocked, and I think we'd all be pretty damn depressed if that ever happened again. But I, I don't see the losing skid happen because of the experience on this roster. I can't wait for uh, Padres fans to pull this back up, you know, October when they're like, update on that. So hopefully. Well, they're going to do that. Yeah, I, need some, do that. I need some Twitter followers. I'm here for it. <laughs> hey guys, if they're going to do that, they're going to do that to this next question. Cause I'm going to put you guys on the spot just a little bit. The current win streak is sitting at nine games. The franchise record is 13 for Los Angeles, set back in the Koufax era. The all-time win record for the Dodgers when it comes to streaks was the 1924 Brooklyn Robins, led by Wilbur Robinson. How's that for a pull, Eric? So my question to you is, when will this win streak end? They're currently at nine. Will they get past 13? Will they get past 15? I'm going to start with you, Michael. I hate to say this. Fans are going to be really upset, but I think it ends tonight just because we haven't seen Ryan Pepio in a long time. Uh, one thing that was really impressive to me last night, the Twins were in first place in the AL Central 
heading into Tuesday's match with the Dodgers. And if it wasn't for Phil Bickford doing what Phil Bickford does and giving yeah, yeah. up blast to, to Byron Buxton, this would have been a 10-1 route by the Dodgers against a very good team who's going to be in the postseason. So, I mean, I think the Twins are a good team. Uh, we saw what the Guardians did when they came here. They were able to take a game and, and played very well. I think this is the game that you're probably going to concede in that nine-game win streak loses. But I think this team's going to keep on rolling as far as they're very close to a 900% win clip right now. So I think they're going to keep going after this. But I think this little... Pepio hiccup where, where Kershaw was supposed to start is where this thing comes to an end. And, and that's fine, I guess. They have a day off going tomorrow and then be refreshed again. One last thing I want to go back to what we were just talking about, though. Uh, what matters more than going hot into the postseason or whatever is starting pitching. What, what the Nationals did is what, to Brooks' point in, in 19, was you were able to go Strasburg, Scherzer, and then even though Corbin kept getting beat, but you had those big three at the top. So as I'm looking at these other teams right now, I'm looking straight at the Mets, and Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer at the front end of that rotation, and, and the guys they have after that are very good too. But you have a top two that's probably one, two for Cy Young, you know, in any other season where they're healthy. So if you're the Dodgers, you're looking at them and you're saying, how do we line up against those two guys? And if we're Dodgers fans, we're hoping maybe Jacob DeGrom's arm doesn't hold out enough to make right. it to the postseason. The DeGrominator versus the Urias in game that's one. That's the team that's I'm looking at because it's all about starting pitching. And if you actually go over to fan graphs, they rank the starting pitching right now in all of Major League Baseball. Dodgers are ranked ninth. Padres are ahead of them in eighth. The Mets are ranked number one. Braves are actually ahead of them, I think, in number three. So that's something to look at because we have great depth. Yeah. But who's like this frontline ace that you can say he can go toe-to-toe with DeGrom and beat him? You're right telling now. me that Tyler Anderson and Tony Gonson <laughs> are not your one-two punch to take out Scherzer and DeGrom? Come on, man. That change of that splitty. I want to ask you, when will this streak end? I think it ends tonight just because tonight. I think, I think Pepio. I love the guy. I think he's got a lot of talent. I just think he's had those control issues, and I think that's going to cause them to dip in the bullpen. I know they have their off day on Thursday, but I just think with that Pepio start, you know, everything good has to come to an end. But, I mean, this team really reminds me of what they're doing right now of those Lakers, Phil Jackson teams at their heyday. It wasn't these obscene winning streaks, but it was, you know, they never lose three in a row. They win five, seven, eight, nine. They have these little mini winning streaks. I don't, I also don't think the team's going for that. I don't think it's really important to them to put together a winning streak. And it goes back to the experience. They know what's important at the end of the road. Plus Sonny Gray has been good this year and he's opposing Pepio today. And, you know, I don't know how the Dodgers have fared against him back when he was with the Yankees or Oakland or the Reds, but he's a pretty good pitcher. Yeah, he's got a sub two ERA against him, I think, or around a two ERA against him. I think he has like a under 0.8 whip against him in his career. And he played for a lot of really bad Reds teams. Um, some good ones too mixed in there. So I do think probably tonight it ends. And wow. that's fine. There's no problem with that because that's not what they're focused on. You're focused on the longevity and what you're going to accomplish with that. And you know, they got seven games coming up against the Brewers in the next couple of weeks. And that's something that they're going to be looking forward to. That's a good matchup for them. I like the fact that they can like get that competition in and not just slow roll. I mean, I do kind of worry about that series against the Rockies to end the year, just kind of like slow rolling into October or something like that. I'm not yeah. worried about us losing against them or anything like that, but just not taking something seriously sometimes, which happens. Also play the Mets at the end of the month, which I'm really excited about. That's going to be, that's going to be, I mean, in terms of like national media coverage, there's going to be a lot of eyes on that series. But again, probably ends tonight, but it's no big deal. 
Wow. So I guess uh, my take's probably going to age like guacamole in the sun, but I think <laughs> that the streak ends at 14 games. I think they set the new L.A. streak, but they fall shy of the Brooklyn streak. And look, you look at the way this team is executing. The offense is potent. I think last night, one of the big takeaways was the fact that they had the big inning, but you started to see them tack on those insurance runs late. And they've just been phenomenal. Talk about Julio Arias. Talk about the pitching. Ryan Pepio, what I always say, if you want to be the man, you have to have the command. He was much better from a command standpoint. Just one walk in his last start against the Rockies on July 5th. But moving right along, talking about return of the Max. Max Muncy in his last 10 games, an OPS over 1,000, a 181, WRC plus, three bombs, four doubles, eight RBIs. He's already had more home runs this month than he has had in any month of the season. And to me, the big takeaway with Muncy, just a 7% walk rate in his last 10 games. Just three walks total before that, over 17%. So I'm going to start with you, Brooke. On a scale of 1 to 10, how back is Max Muncie? Uh, I'm going to give it a five. I'm going to middle it just because I don't really have a strong opinion about it either way. There's been several times throughout the course of this year where it's been like Max is all the way back. Look at him go. He's healthy. He's ready to go. And then a stinker for 15 consecutive games where he strikes out, you know, 20 times or whatever it is. So I'm not going to put too much confidence into it. I will say just from an eye test, he looks to be more comfortable in the box, which can mean something. It doesn't always mean something, but you know, I feel good about the last couple of games and I'll take those last couple of games any day of the week. Got it. I like that. Just stay right in the middle because you never know. Sometimes you get too high, too low. It's always he's back. He's back. But really, it's more like he's kind of figuring it out. Right. right. But let's go to you, Eric. What's your scale? One to ten is Max back. I'm going to seven. I mean, I've, I've been pushing for this. I've been talking about it. I've gotten roasted on multiple shows on this YouTube channel, pulling for Max Muncy, believing that he's going to bounce back. And I'm not I'm not going to take my victory lap yet because it's just 12 games. 10 games, excuse me. But I think I think he's starting to do all of those things that he used to do. When you think about last summer when he was an MV, a fringy MVP candidate, I think he's really attacking the strike zone now. And also, he's not just hunting for walks. I think that's something he's really improved on. So I'm going to give him a seven. Mike? I like to call Max Muncy Cash Muncy because that guy pays dividends, right? Still like to it. this day. <laughs> yeah. And I talked to him last night after the Twins game, and I've been talking to him throughout these 10 games, not just a couple, Brooke, where he's been absolutely on a tear. He's batting mm-hmm. 400 in the month of August, uh, finally hitting a little more home runs, a little more slug, doubles, and singles, which was rare for a long time for Max yeah. Bunsey. It was like homer, double, or walk, right. or strikeout. Uh, so getting some singles, uh, finding a way to do that. And also he set a milestone in that Tuesday night game, his 130th career home run with the Dodgers. Uh, tying Jock Peterson for most in Dodgers franchise history. And when we think of Jock, we think home runs, especially playoff home runs. So to get to that level is pretty good for him. But he has been mechanically adjusting his, his, his swing a little bit, and it's now starting to pay off. Um, I'm not going to say all the way back 10. I'll say like a six. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think Cash Muncy is, uh, is going to continue to pay dividends here and in the postseason as well. Yeah, I know, and that adjustment's been big. You see, he takes that step back. Look, Steph was there last night. That's a step back that would make him feel proud. And I think sometimes you got to take a step back, just take a step forward. To me, I'm going to give it a nine. When Max Muncy is right, he's a top 25 hitter in all of Major League Baseball. The adjustment that he's made flattened out that swing. I think Max Muncy is back. I truly believe that. He's gone from sad Max to mad Max, and I think that we're going to see him produce. And don't forget, an 838 career postseason OPS. You saw what he did in the 2018 World Series. Max He's back. The only, the only problem is the 2018 and 19 baseballs aren't back. If those baseballs were back, then we, might see, the then we might see up, that. He's far less back. aggressive. I'm telling you, man, just three walks in those last 10 games.
in a roaring stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Moving right along, talk about the big trade at the deadline, Juan Soto. Ever wanted the Dodgers to make a big splash trade for the generational player? Well, J.P. Hornstra, he, on his podcast, he said that the Nationals, what they wanted from the Dodgers was Diego Cartaya, the number one prospect, Bobby Miller, and then three out of the group of Michael Bush, Andy Pajes, Miguel Vargas, Ryan Pepio, Michael Grove, and then three other wildcard prospects. Now, my first question is, would you have done that deal for Soto if you were the Dodgers, starting with you, Michael? Someone turn out the lights because this show just got lit. We're talking about Soto up in here still. Um, <laughs> I, I, I heard the same thing, the same report. We talked about it. You just got Kybert Ruiz. This guy's your catcher for the next decade probably. Why do you need Diego Cartaya? I'm curious about that. But as I've told you guys on this show in this studio before, when you're making these trades with other GMs, it's like levels, right? It is. I want that every team has different grades and, and how they every board's different yeah every board's different they scout differently they had they like different players in every teams the dodgers were also heavy in on shohei otani as well and so it's typically like three from this three from this and that is confirmed three from your top like 10 prospects top, top. and then this second range group three from there as well as what the nationals wanted a couple of those guys major league ready guys i heard lux gonsolin were in those talks as well um and so, like, you know, the, the Nationals might have Gavin Lux super high, whereas the, the, the Angels don't, for example, or something like that. Um, to me, this is a really tough decision because Juan Soto is a game changer. He's a needle mover. But you didn't need him. And knowing the way Andrew Friedman operates, he likes to go his luxury shopping in the winter, right? That's when you go see him at Saks Fifth Avenue at Barney's. You can go <laughs> check him out on Rodeo Drive. That's when he's doing his best work. Uh, he doesn't like overpaying. He doesn't like – he likes the sale prices, right? That's what Tyler Anderson is. That's what Andrew Heaney is. That's what Tony Gonsolin is this season, who's, who's in the Cy Young conversation right now. So he doesn't like to go big and, and overpay in the, in the middle unless he has a very acute need. Right? In 17, he had a starting pitching need. He got Darvish. That's a blockbuster. In 18, Corey Seager was down for the season. He got Machado. That's a blockbuster. In 19, you had the best record in baseball. You tied the franchise record for wins. You didn't need anything. Margin moves. Adam Kalarik. Uh 2021, you had a big hole once Trevor Bauer did what Trevor Bauer did and was out for the year. You need a starting pitching. You go out and get Max Scherzer, and you throw in your, your shortstop for the next year after we knew Seager was going to walk. This year, he doesn't have any acute needs. So you can improve on the margins, and that's what he did. And now in the offseason, maybe Shohei Otani is not – you know, a thousand dollars, or you know, to use that luxury item. Maybe he's you know discounted a little bit. And I think <laughs> if you if you were willing to part with those prospects to get Juan Soto, you're definitely willing to part with those prospects to get a generational two way talent in Shohei Otani. Yeah, I think in this case, he'd rather have four. You know, he'd rather have. For, you know, he'd rather, you wouldn't want to break up the depth of this team, and that's why they've had so much success. But I want to go to you, Eric. What are your thoughts on that? Would you have done that deal for the Dodgers? No. I, I wouldn't have done the deal. The, the deal I would have made was for a big frontline starter, whether that was 
Luis Castillo, who I knew you were very crestfallen they didn't trade for, but I would have done it for a frontline starter. You never know what you can get with Walker Bueller. Clayton Kershaw, you don't know, but they didn't. They don't need Soto. He's an incredible player. He's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He deserves all of his roses. Hell of a player, but he's not a player that the Dodgers needed. Brooke? Yeah, I mean, like Michael was saying, it's it's just one of those cases where if the Dodgers had a need, yeah, that's something that I probably would have done. I probably would have gone all in on that for sure, but we didn't have it, and so it was a case where... That explains why I see him shopping at the target, uh, Andrew Friedman shopping at the target up here so much. I, I mean, think that's where he found Joey Gallo, right? Just <laughs> in the, the clearance just, section. He's at not target. that guy. He's on his know? Target Circle app yeah, looking well, for the coupons. Exactly. Yeah. He's looking for his deal. And if there's not a deal out there for him, he's not going to take it. And if they're going out here and saying, hey, we want three of your top prospects and then a couple other guys, and we, you know, but also throw in Gavin Lux, and maybe we'll talk about Tony Gonsolin and things like that. He's going to look at that and kind of laugh and be like, you know what? Someone's going to pay you that. It's not going to be us. Go ahead and do it, you know, whatever it's going to be. So, I, He's not a guy who's going to sacrifice the future of this franchise. When the Guggenheim group came in, their whole thing was, we're going to win now, but we're going to win in the future too. We're not just going to do this right now and go all in balls to the wall immediately and just make, you know, sacrifice our entire future. The Dodgers consistently have one of the better farm systems in all of Major League Baseball. Not the best, but one of the better ones. And I think that sustained consistency, that's what makes with this team great. I mean, that's what makes us comp- competitive every single year. And also, I am high on Diego Cartaya, personally. So for that, just for that matter alone, I was like, eh. I also did not get that trade for the Nationals, too. I'm like, you just got Kiebert, who you were obviously were very high on because you were able to make that trade for him. What are you going to do with him? Exactly. So. Uh, speaking of that, sources also told me, because this is a great topic to discuss, the Dodgers, the Nationals, Mike Rizzo and the Nationals, gave the Dodgers a chance to beat the Padres' offer of everything they had there on the table. And there was other contingency plans knowing Eric Hosmer could opt out and he had the right to do so and not do that. But um, yeah, the Dodgers had a chance. If they wanted to beat what the Padres were doing, they had a chance to do that. Very and, and Friedman chose not to. Interesting. Correct. You well, heard what, that. Well, well, historically, anything that the Dodgers really want, they're going to go out yeah. and get because they have, they not only have the major league players, right, but they also have the prospect depth. So if they really want something, they can make it happen. So that, 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 that all adds up to me. And the good thing is we have the curse of Eric Hosmer now, and the Padres, they're flailing without him. But I think at the end of the day, if you can get Juan Soto without having to give up Dustin May and Gavin Lux, if they did that deal, we'd all be praising that deal right now. I guarantee it, because the reality is none of these players are going to come close to having the career that Juan Soto is going to have. That's just the reality of the situation. And some people I've talked to at the minor league level say there's no such thing as gutting the Dodgers' farm system. They continue. They're like a monster. You cut off their necks and, like, four just grow back. Okay, that's just kind of how it is. But I do think at the end of the day, you make the best point of the fact that it wasn't a position of need. They do have guys back. And how about this? It could have sparked Max Muncy. The fact that they brought in Gallo, considered trading for Soto. Now he's gotten himself right and used it as an extra motivator. But last topic here, guys. We're going to have some fun with this one. I want to ask you guys. So this year, there's been some very interesting hit celebrations for the Dodgers. Some of them have been a little sus. You got the pepper grinder. <laughs> of course, I call it the BDE celebration, Big Dodger <laughs> Energy. Uh-huh. Uh, you have the Wolf of Wall Street. You got the mic. You got the barrels overrated. That one's classic. The Duncan on them. You got the switch it up. You got the Mookie spanking down. As which is your favorite Dodgers hit celebration in recent years? I'm going to start with you, Eric. Barrels are overrated. Chris Taylor, my second favorite Dodger. I think he's one of the few Dodgers who still actually does the celebration every time he gets a hit. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of the barrels are overrated. Nice. Yeah, that one's classic. Brooke, what's the one they do where it's like short? Yeah, yeah. What's that one? Yeah. What's well, usually that's an NBA one where you're yeah, yeah. too small, small. small. Yeah, you're too small. small. Right. And they yeah. do do that. That's a dunk on this one, right? yeah. yeah, I like that one. Yeah. That one's cool for me, especially since like it's definitely like a Gavin Mookie thing. I mean, 
definitely but it, just the fact that like coming around the base too and holding it down it is like a little I like shot that. i like yeah. it yeah i like that one because it can lead into a high five too you know what i mean a low, <laughs> a low five, five. Yeah. that's best as yeah. movie as he rounds right? there yeah. and he goes low and then you know yeah michael what's your favorite all right so i'm gonna give you a three-part answer real quick so i like the the hands roberto up. hang loose just because it's mentioned to keep it loose and the backstory behind it when he was with one of his winner teams and they get it and they went on fire and won the whole thing mm-hmm. uh i like that i like the world of wall street mic tap only because what not only did Leonardo DiCaprio do it in the movie, but I just watched these old clips of Jordan Belfort on YouTube, like the original Wolf of Wall Street. This guy, whether he was doing a speech at a wedding for his office or whatever, he did the mic tap as well. That's where Leo got it from. So I think that's kind of funny. But my favorite, man, and it's not recent, but 2017, uh, you had Adrian Gonzalez and Justin Turner, the home run oh, selfie. I, you, yeah. I thought that one was oh, classic. Yeah. I one. missed that it's one great. a lot. That's probably my favorite. And of course, MLB, give us the bubble machine back. We bubble want the machine. bubble machine. But yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Wolf of Wall Street. And just like the movie, I hope that Trey Turner isn't effing leaving. So I love that one, too. I just love that movie. It's one of my favorites. I got, some, I got some breaking. Inside the ping pong tournament, I was at the final table, right? It's like a poker tournament. The final table. <laughs> Trey Turner and former professional tennis player Marty Bird were going. Marty, sorry, Marty Fish. Oh, too much Ozark from my part. Anyway, they were going up against two professional ping pong players. And uh, I'm trying to give Trey Turner tips. I'm trying to say work on your serve, focus, concentrate. When they finally lose, he turns to me and he says, next year I'm winning it all. And I'm like, oh, really? Next year you're winning it all. First of all, Kershaw would have to resign for that to happen. And Trey Turner would have to resign for that to happen. Uh, That's a good sign. And he not only said it once to me, he said it multiple times throughout. I even told him, hey, if you want to win, partner with Kershaw because that guy's probably the best ping pong player out here. So, you know, you heard it here first. Trey Turner said next year he's going to win the ping pong tournament. He's back. He's hopefully, back. hopefully that means he's back to do it. So now I guess that he's means back, uh, <laughs> that Kershaw is going to have his tournament when they're playing the Phillies, I'm assuming. No, I'm just playing. But, uh, yeah, hopefully you're right and Trey Turner is back. I think you got to hashtag pay Trey. That's a no-brainer. But thanks, gentlemen, joining us here on the Dodgers Nation Roundtable. And down below in the comment section, we want all your takes on today's topic. Do you think the Dodgers are peaking too early? Would you have made that deal for Juan Soto? And finally, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is Max Muncy? Let us know down below in the comment section and be sure to subscribe to the Dodgers Nation YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, and you're going to see us post even more Dodgers content. Smash that like button. And as always, think blue, bleed blue, and I'm out. In a roaring stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. home. 